Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. Hello, uh, thank you for joining us at this version of Hiraith Live, uh, coming to you from the Newport Rising Festival. The People's Charter set out six demands, and we will take them one by one to see how well the upcoming Senedd reform legislation, which will increase the size and change the electoral system of the Senedd, would satisfy these calls. To do so, I'm joined by Chris Haynes, the ICNN Senedd reporter, uh, appearing in a personal capacity. Hello, Chris. Thank you for coming. Great to join you. And I've got Tom Hoyles, the GMB political officer for Wales and the southwest of England. How are you doing, Tom? I'm very good. Happy that your beloved Ospreys won this weekend? I'm very happy they good. won. It, it's a rare occasion nowadays, so I'm very, very happy. <laughs> so, like I said, we're going to take them one by one. So the first one was a vote for every man over the age of 21. I know that's one we've sort of... I think we're all very happy it has been done. We can say that, take that off. But obviously there's a few issues I want to go into within that. The Senate has already expanded its electoral franchise to allow foreign nationals, 16- and 17-year-olds, to vote. Um, but, Chris, are you aware, of, listening to the discussions you've had in the, in the Senate, of any intention to extend that franchise even further? Uh, the election body, uh, elected bodies bill um, does um, seek to uh, automatic registration. So there's for about 400,000 people in Wales that aren't on the register. Uh, so if, should that bill pass, that will change. But there are concerns around that in terms of the differences now between elections. So you might get people thinking, because they're automatically registered for a Senate election, that they're automatically registered for a Westminster election or a Police and Crime Commissioner's election, but that's not the case. Tom, I think the GMB, uh, your union, have been very clear on your opposition to these, these plans, just in case anyone was wondering. I'm sure Tom won't hide that at any point during this <laughs> conversation. But... Um, do you back plans to, to extend the franchise? And do you think, you know, thinking of a future Labour government at a UK level, level, do you think they should be looking to do the same? Yeah, no, I think we do. Uh, I mean, I think you highlighted some good points there about actually where the technicalities quite often get in the way of a lot of this stuff. But the point we're all looking for with voting is that those who are interested in voting uh, and eligible should be able to. Um, and, you know, there's still the question around um, those people who were European foreign nationals, what, what can they get into now? What can they, they go for? Um, and it's a complete and utter farce that, you know, you say you have to register every election. It should be one standardised thing. In terms of extending it, yeah, absolutely. You know, we think that that's one of the trade unions biggest biggest um, points for us is that we think that everybody who, who we should extend it as, as widely as possible to everybody who pays rates or works in this country. So uh, part of this demand is a vote for every man. Thankfully, we've moved way, way beyond that now. But one of the, the issues that keeps coming up in discussions around this legislation is the introduction of, of gender quotas um, for elected representatives. Tom, what's the GMB's position on this? And how, what do you think the practicalities are of making sure that legislation uh, has these desired, uh, desired mechanisms within them? It's a very difficult one, actually, because... There are some big legal questions about it, and I think what the, uh, the government has tried to do is they've tried to split the bill into two bits, haven't they? There's mm. be one which would be a, uh, a bill for the Senate Reform Act, which will look at the closed-list PR system that has, has come through. But also there'll be a, a legality, a, a whole bill about allowing within the system to have gender balancing, uh, give it a legal footing. Uh, you know, we welcome that. We think it's right. We, 
throughout all our opposition hasn't been about having a more expanded uh, an expanded senate or indeed a senate that is more representative of of the working people in this country that's that's what we're about that's what we want to see but there are big questions about how that, this stuff will happen you know we haven't seen what that whether that's possible yet we don't know whether legally that bill can be passed or will be passed so you know, taking in two parts is, is risky. You could just end up with a closed list PR system, which is something that we are not in favour of, and then not get gender quotas as well. That being said, you know, later, we, we are uh, affiliates to the Labour Party and we will be doing our bit internally in the Labour Party to ensure that there are gender quotas. The truth of the matter is gender quotas are the only way we have made protests. It is woefully, woefully slow getting women candidates to come through. And, you know, that's only on a you know, uh, at Senate electoral level. When you go to local councils, it is still very difficult to find uh, women candidates who can come through. When you go to internal party structures, there are still few women who put themselves through. So actually the other thing that organizations within uh, Wales political parties need to do is look at the kind of um, the culture that we create internally. Because not just gender, there's also um, you know, ethnicity and stuff. We're actually, we still trail far behind where we would love to be. Um, you know, the, it is not a, a representative bunch in the Senate. It is not a representative bunch in uh, Westminster. It's not a representative bunch in your local council near you. And there's more to do there. So on a legislation base, we, you know, we, we, we think we welcome there is a, 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 a gender quota bill, but actually the parties internally need to look at how they do this. And by the way, in our opinion, uh, the Labour Party is miles ahead, miles and miles ahead of the other political parties in getting this stuff through. So if we got to a situation whereby Senate reform happened and we didn't get the gender uh, quota bill through, you'd have a situation whereby it would probably be Labour is the most representative of all the parties and the others trail far behind. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, Tom, because obviously, yes, I mean, I think that even if that legislation didn't get through, it's very likely that the Labour Party internally Absolutely. would ensure that, that at least their elected representatives were gender balanced. Uh, I'm not so sure about uh, Plaid, although they're very likely, but I think certainly without legislation, Chris, uh, it's unlikely the Conservatives would do so, and I'm sure you can talk a little bit about their, their levels of opposition to this bill. And, on a number of uh, a number of factors, but one of them is certainly the gender quotas. Right? They they, they always make the argument that people should be elected on on, on merit. Yes. Yeah. And um, a copy of this bill was actually leaked this week, so, so you might have seen reports about it. Uh, the full bill is expected to be brought forward by the end of the year, this with under the snappy snappy title of Senate Cymru brackets electoral electoral candidates list brackets bill, um, which never helps. Trust things, the trust the Welsh government to come it, up with that really exactly. good titles of legislation. Yeah. <laughs> but it's highly likely that it will be um, referred to the Supreme Court to, to consider whether it's within the competence of the the Senate's powers. And as Tom mentioned, it's being brought forward for that reason separately. So if it does fall, it won't bring everything else down with it. Can I can I add a quick point yeah, on this? Because I just I don't want to miss a chance to kick a Tories if we can. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful? Their line is about candidates should be selected on merit. Has anyone ever met a Conservative Party MS? <laughs> yeah. If there was somebody, I would have to say that's not there on merit. It is the majority of their their Senate group. Oh, I, I love it when Tom makes sure everyone else on the panel is really uncomfortable. <laughs> um, <coughs> wonderful. I think we've covered that uh, that that ground uh, pretty pretty comprehensively. Um, so the second Chartist demand was about secret ballots. And obviously, we've, again, we've moved way past that point. But um, all good parliamentary geeks will know that the first ever secret ballot was in a by-election, the Pontefract by-election in 1872. And one of the interesting things that I've noticed in this uh, draft legislation is that there is the potential 
the by-elections in Senate elections could be a complete thing of the past because obviously we're using a list system. So, but there are circumstances in which you could theoretically exhaust a list. So say if, uh, take Labour for example, uh, all of their candidates on their list had to resign or pass away or whatever for any particular reason, were unavailable to take that seat, um, you would end up in a situation where a seat was left vacant. Obviously again, underneath this, uh, with this new system, it's very unlikely that you'll see independents elected. But for, for argument's sake, if an independent was elected and then they had to resign, the seat would be left vacant. Chris, obviously, are you aware of any discussions that are ongoing in the Senate at the moment that would seek to remedy this rather weird, uh, weird laguna that there seems to have been presented? Because I know what the Senate, what the Welsh government are saying is, well, it just won't ever happen. But I don't think that's necessarily the best way to make law. Yeah, and, and as you say, that's very much the position at the moment, and that the seats would remain uh, vacant. And Council General McAnton, who gave evidence on this recently and describe the chances of it happening as remote. But anybody who knows about the last Senate would know, mm. you know, I think there were about 15% of MSs changed party mm. during that time. One changed party, well, Mark Reckless, South <laughs> Wales, East charged, changed party four times, I believe. Um, so whether it's that remote is remains to be seen, although it has been quite rare previous to the fifth Senate. It's an interesting. interesting you bring up the last Senate because one of the things they were talking about so much in the preamble to this legislation was that they would try and remedy the issue that happened in the last Senate where people were con constantly moving between parties. But the bill's silent on that, isn't it? It is, yeah, and surprisingly so because, you know, you had instances with, for example, uh, Lord Davidellis Thomas um, elected for Plaid within months of the election, became an independent and remained so for the rest of the term, which is not what people voted for. And come the next election... You know, Mabinot Gwynvor was elected and applied it back in. Yeah, I'm not sure many of the uh, people who voted for David Thomas in Dwyvo Merionov were quite expecting him to be part of a Labour government. Um, Tom, as a you know, as a union political officer, mm. the, uh, the the absence of by-elections must be an absolute dream for you, right? Yeah, this is something we like about the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, But you know, let's look at let's look at the recent by-elections we've seen at the parliamentary, UK parliamentary level. Yeah. Sometimes that's hugely beneficial for individual political parties. It, it may be the difference, in, especially in a, uh, in a parliament like the Senate, with such small numbers either way, you know, that could be the difference between a majority or not. So what's your view on that? Do you think we should remedy that, that, that gap there? It, uh, it's a difficult one because it, we hit that situation whereby, you know, and, and like, let's be honest, it's not necessarily, I, I like Mick a lot, but, uh, you know, it's not necessarily remote. Have you seen some of the age profile of Senate members? You yeah. know, like, they, they, are, they are generally older. Uh, you know, there is a, a, a very possible chance, not necessarily for any political party in particular, but there's a chance that you could hit that situation and you can't say to a group of constituents that actually, no, we're going to keep your seat empty. So I do think... Uh, as much as an annoying it is as a trade union officer having to fork out for yet another election, I do think you'd, you would need something in place there, wouldn't you? Um, uh, I mean, again, like that's one of the reasons why GMB is, is firmly steadfast in favour of first-past-the-post. It has many failings. All electoral systems have many failings. But you have that individual situation where something like that happens. It is a tried-and-tested method that, that comes through. It is a part of the political cycle which everybody looks to, not just 
internally within political parties, but in the public at large. One of the key things that I think has settled Keir Starmer's leadership of the Labour Party has been the by-election success in the last four or five months. You know, that has been a major factor. It has been a major factor around other political decisions that are made by the government and other things. And that political culture is something that the, the public look to. Uh, and without that, it's a, it's a huge gap. Chris, you want to come in? Yeah, just another thing I want to add from um, Council General's evidence was that, um, as well as the chances being remote, um, he argued that with a bringing in a new form of uh, full form of uh, proportional representation, any by-election subsequently would, you know, change that vote, and that's part of the argument of why they uh, avoid in doing so. Sure, but I, I do, and I do understand where Mick's coming from in there. But again. I mean, with UK parliamentary, the UK parliamentary system, with the current Senate system, we've always had by-elections, and they tend to be a good reflection of the public will and mood at the time, right? So, it just feels to me a little bit out of place to not have that sort of weather check every once in a while. It might be that in that situation, we have a first-past-the-post election for the final seat. You well, know, that's that, what it would end up being. Yeah, right? absolutely, right? Because, like, you know, you can't run for 10 different seats if there's one, only one vacant. Yeah. So, you know, that could be it. But then there's a situation of if you've got two uh, people who have to remove themselves and there's nobody else, what happens then? Do you run a PR? Do you run an AV? AV? So that, that, that needs to be filled, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, wonderful. So we're going to go on to the third uh, Chartist demand now. So, again, property qualifications for uh, members of parliament. Now... Again, we don't have that anymore. That's all good, and, all good and done. But what we will have now in the next Senate election is residency requirements. So um, in order to be a candidate in the next Senate election, you'll have to be registered to vote in Wales. Um, but then I, this, this got me thinking the other day. So you, you could theorize, we, we know how porous Wales is bordering. We're in Newport, one of the, most, uh, one of the best examples of that, really, uh, anywhere in Wales. It's an incredible mixing pot of English and Welsh cultures sitting in one city. But let's take somewhere like Allen and Deeside, for example, which is an even better geographical uh, example of this, where people uh, on one side of the street are in England and others on the other side of the street are in Wales. So you could have this rather weird scenario where, say, a a man or a woman sends their kids to schools on the Welsh side of the border. They use Welsh hospitals, Welsh GPs, Welsh dentists. Now, it's already strange that they aren't able to, and understandable, why they can't vote to improve those services or vote to decide on those services. But why shouldn't they be allowed to stand as a candidate to improve those services when there is, for example, no prohibit, no, nothing in the legislation to prohibit someone who's living in, say, Prostatin from standing as a candidate in Pembrokeshire? It's an interesting discussion for me, and uh, I'd be interested in your thoughts. Tom, have you got... Just a few. I, I mean, I... You know, we all know what this is about. This is about Neil Hamilton, isn't it? <laughs> Let's be honest. Here. Guy, no link to Wales. Uh, doesn't didn't never lived here, uh, and just basically put himself on the list and got elected um, uh, for UKIP. I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah. UKIP. Um, uh, and that was utterly wrong. Everything about that felt wrong to, to me, at least, and to, to, to the union movement. And that needed to be tackled. Look, you brought some very good points there. I think about the cross-bordering element. You know. Uh, you know, should you be able to stand for somewhere and to improve services if you use them? I think that's a really good and interesting point. But there's no, you know, again, there's there's the principle of democratic reform and there's the practicalities of it. And at some point, you have to draw a line. I think a great example of this would be the European Union. 
So, you know, like uh, with your European health insurance card, let's say that, right, you may be somebody who regularly uses European health. If you work abroad, it may be that you use a European health system quite a lot. So uh, a hospital in Brussels or, um, you know, you spend six months a year in, um, in Italy. So you use a dentist out there and it's covered by European health insurance. You still cannot run to change that. And I think that, you know, like, again, theoretically, if you spend enough time out there, perhaps that is a difficult thing to get around. But practically, you've got to draw the line somewhere. So on this, I actually don't... I, I, we're, we'd be fine with that. I, we don't have any issue necessarily intensely with that. Chris, so, again, I'd be fascinated on what you've heard about the context the ministers and uh, backbenchers are having around this discussion. But again, the one question I want to ask you is, with this uh, requirement specifically, have you noticed any pushback? There has been from Conservative benches yeah. during during scrutiny. So careful now, Tom. Yeah, shock on, right? <laughs> the argument from from McAntony is that the electoral doing it based on the electoral register is a, climp, a simple and clear solution, and obviously that you know the basic principle being I mean, if you don't live in Wales, you're not yourself subject to the laws of Wales. You shouldn't be able to make the laws of Wales. Um, but as you mentioned earlier, there are you know cases where somebody who's Welsh who might live just the other side of the border can't can't represent an area they grew up in, whereas somebody from Cardiff could represent a seat in North Wales five or six miles, uh, hours away even. Just, just to add to that, yeah, I mean, no, like, you not. know, because it's not just at this level we're discussing, is it, you know, there are famous cases of uh, councillors who own a, uh, a garage or a flowering shed uh, in a different neighbouring authority where they are uh, running the council or in a, a cabinet role uh, and they live 20, 30 miles away. So I think there's a bigger question about that kind of stuff, you know, like you know, the stuff you're talking about Prostatin and, and, you know, perhaps living in Cardiff or something. There is, there is something there that feels um, probably wrong about that system, but actually practically what can you do about it that's the question how practically how can we change that and i think that's where it becomes difficult um and it may not be ideal but actually saying in wales is actually a practical solution to solving it yeah the, the line has to be drawn somewhere and i should say it's not just the conservative benches that, that uh, question this as well i did hear questions from carolyn thomas the north wales ms for labor and also from from Plyde in terms of second home ownership um so you know somebody who owns a second home if they're on the register you know, they can uh, stand. Yeah, OK. Thanks for that, guys. So the, uh, the next one, the next Chartist demand is uh, payment of MPs. And again, not an issue in and of itself anymore, but certainly something that keeps coming up time and time again in relation to whether people would be willing to support this legislation is the additional cost to the taxpayer for additional uh, members of the Senate, but also their offices and their office staff and that is you know one of the major reasons why this set of proposals was rejected by Labour councillors in, in Flintshire. Um, Tom what were your views on on that news from from, from, from Flintshire? <sighs> Look let's let's take the question about paying politicians in the round I think that's the best way to look at the entire thing and it's it is this if a democratic system needs reform, and it is a priority, which we believe it is in Wales, you should be willing to pay for that, and we should make the argument. You know, there's an argument, there's a lot of things going on in the world right now, there's a lot of things going on, the cost of living crisis, where people are obviously getting, uh, people are obviously unhappy with a lot of the situations, and nothing looks worse than creating a new layer, layer of bureaucracy, completely understand that, but the point of the matter is that good governance comes at a cost, and it's important, and that's what makes uh, you know, Western democracy 
pluralistic democracy different. We won't duck decisions about democratic elements, which is the vital and most important part of our democracy, just because it's a cheap option. Uh, and I think actually the public, you know, you might get an initial outcry, but I think the public would back that as well. You know, there's a reason uh, Aldi don't sell birthday cakes. It's because for birthdays, people splash out. They are willing to pay money for it. And if you want to have a functioning government, if you want to have a functioning democracy, what you need to have is, is to pay for it. And we agree in principle with extending the amount of MSs. We think that there is a, a big issue with backbent words and scrutiny on, on government stuff. And heck, we like most of the stuff the government does. So, you know, it, it not necessarily overwhelmingly in our interest, but there is a problem with those things. The fact of the matter is, by paying for these extra MSs, what you will do is create a better democracy with better outcomes that will make our country better. And, and I don't think we should ever shy away from paying for that. Chris, have you heard anything in the Senate about, you know, this internal discussion within the Labour Party? And are any MSs concerned about, you know, for example, council, Labour councillors in Flintshire turning against their plans? Yeah, I think so, and particularly in light of the recent cuts that were announced, you know, in-year cuts to education of 70 million and quite big cuts to the social justice budget and others, it's going to keep coming up then, you know, why are you spending 100 million on 36 more politicians? But as Tom said, on the other side of things, that greater scrutiny could almost pay for itself, as some argue. Yeah, I mean, this is one thing that Conservatives do continue to bring up in discussions about this legislation, isn't it, is that they're trying to create the argument that Labour care more about more politicians than they do about improving funding to schools or, or hospitals. And do, do you think that's picking up traction? Obviously, we saw amongst the, 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 the people on the street, obviously, we've seen a recent Senate petition that was uh, trying to reject this, these proposals. But have you noticed anything? I, 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 yeah, I think there, there is some traction to it, especially if you've seen with Flintshire. Um, and, you know, more politicians is never a popular idea, is it? Um, I think there was a Wales Governance Centre study a few years ago that found that people were essentially against more, um, more politicians, but obviously it's important to caveat that with they're barely in favour of it. Yeah. So. I mean, it's, it's again one of these things, it depends what question you're asking, right? So mm. if people ask the question, do you value greater scrutiny of legislation that's passed, they'll always say, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. It, it, it's worth adding again, though, isn't it? It's like... it's. Everyone has ideas about everything. And taken individually, we all have different different ideas. But actually, when you take it in the round, it's completely different. Now, if you ask people, do you want a better government? Do you want your lives to be better? People say, yes, everyone wants that. And what, you're, what the argument is, and I think the argument is right, that more politicians will, uh, in this scenario, be able to better scrutinise government bills so we don't spend time unpicking things that may not have worked in legislation. And every government gets that. But you should be able to foresee these things when they're coming on. And a good scrutiny process is essential to that. So overall, I think, you know, it, 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 you know, the 29 mile an hour bill, right? We've looked at that the last couple couple of weeks. Now. What people are unhappy with that is the implication on their their drive to work, right? That's what everyone's thinking about. I've got to get there in the morning. Uh, I, you know, I, I, it's tough enough. I've got to the kids off. I want to get there on the hour. Actually, it's really difficult to get there. But actually, when you ask them, you know, what it does in terms of lowering accidents, it's environmentally friendly. Well, they're in favour of the outcomes. It is just the offsetting they don't like. So when you take it in the round, it's very different to actually the, the, you know, the certain instance of it. So I think if that argument is made correctly, and it can be made correctly, I think, I think people will actually back it. Chris, do you have any answer to that? Yeah, just something that Laura McAllister told the committee recently was um, just reminding people that, you know, the expert panel, which are really the architects of these proposals, recommended 80 to 90 members. And they said, well, and obviously the bill contains provision for 96. And uh, Professor McAllister said it's a fine balance between, you know, costs, benefits, 
public opinion on the other on the other side, and they the expert panel found that there wouldn't be quite the return beyond 90. Do you think there should be a referendum about these changes if there's so much public ill will towards them, Tom? No. <laughs> no, I, I, your referendums, again, you know, it, it, it becomes about boiling things down to the, the simplest common messages. And I think that the, the, the democracy is intensely complex and it should be complex. And the reason it should be complex is the more views and more ideas that you're taking into account, the harder it is to make a decision, right? That's when democracy is good. When a decision is hard, it is because people have been properly engaged and properly scrutinising what's going on. When you have a referendum, like we saw with the uh, uh, the recent European referendum, when you have a referendum... not that recent anymore, mate. Seven years ago. <laughs> How old do we all feel now? Yeah, it, does, it doesn't <laughs> feel that long ago because we're all living with the, the consequences <laughs> of it, right? When you take the, you know... Um, the AV referendum, uh, what was it, the, the heck, that's 11, 12 years ago, yeah. whatever it was, it didn't become about actually what electoral system people wanted and what was the best outcome. It became about cost implication. It became about unfairness. It became about everything other than the technicalities. It boiled them down into things that were not actually very good arguments. And that was the problem with the, both those debates. So I wouldn't be in favour of a public referendum uh, because I just don't think it would be a, a good debate for democracy. I don't think it would be a democratic debate. I think turnout would be low. Uh, I think it would cost a trade unions lots of money. Something that we don't <laughs> want to spend again, again on, on waste on that. Um, you know, this is something that we've we've uh, we've we've legislated for. Uh, was it in the Labour manifesto? Was it? Yeah. yeah well, so we've had vague terms. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's not. I mean, what we got was quite different from what we thought. It was. <laughs> uh, but you know, actually, there's the democratic mandate from it. I think we've got everything we need to get it on. I mean, Chris, you would have seen this. Uh, a lot of the well, the Conservatives again have said this should be subject to a referendum. Do you think that's because they're trying to... Well, I'm not going to try to lead the, lead the witness here. But do you think that's because they sense some sort of political advantage in, in raising all these issues to the fore? Um, not necessarily, no. And, you know, the Flincher councillors have said likewise that yeah. it should be a referendum. And I can see the argument for it. You know, a form of proportional representation was roundly rejected in 2011. And, you know, what was in Welsh Labour's manifesto wasn't, you know, hugely yeah. firm on what was going to happen. It's something along the lines of a new electoral system no less representative than the one we currently have. Yeah, and similarly with Plaid's manifesto, you know, it talked about SDV and things like that, yeah. and which we'll sure come on to. Oh, yeah, we're going to get there now. Uh, <laughs> nice one. So, yeah, I mean, this is the fifth Chartist demand was constituencies of, of equal size. So this requires a little bit of context now, and I can see people leaving the room when I start talking about Hunt. <laughs> so what we've got at the minute is... 40 first past the post constituencies with 20 elected on a regional list system. And the new system will be 96 members with 16 super constituencies with six members elected from each using a version of the Dehant system. Don't worry, I'm not going to try and explain Dehant because we haven't got time and I haven't got the mobility. <laughs> um, but this has caused a lot of concern this new system. And again, Tom, I know this is where a lot of the GMB's yeah. issues come in, but before we get into that, Chris, I wanted to focus on what Professor Renwick said recently to the Senate and see if you wouldn't mind going about Yeah, sure. So, um, for those who don't know, Alan Renwick's a professor at University College London in the Constitution, Constitution Unit. He was also a part of the expert panel um, and one of the architects of the reforms, um, which published a report in 2017, I believe it was. Um, so, he had quite a stark warning when he appeared before MSs recently because the expert panel recommended the single transferable vote 
or what's known as a flexible list system. But what Welsh Government has brought forward is a purely closed list system, which will see parties voting for uh, people voting for parties rather than individuals. And Professor Renwick warned that um, it won't serve democracy or the Senate effectively. He called it dangerous. He was unambiguous in saying that the proposed system would reduce vote, voter uh, choice and you know people wouldn't be able to split their vote in the way that they can now and yeah as I say it was very sort of unambiguous that it would be a retrograde retrograde step and out of kilter with the, the direction in a lot of other European countries towards flexible list system. I see you nodding Tom but surely that sounds like all the kind of stuff you would love is that you know in the little <laughs> pie like you know making it so that people can't split their vote etc it would make it significantly easier to... to... I was just shaking my head I, I, don't, I don't agree with a lot of of his points that but that doesn't mean PR is the right option, does yeah. it? You know, actually, our political culture in this country. Look, our council elections are done on uh, what are they done on STV? Is it always no first past post? First past post. The council elections aren't. Oh yeah, because every council in Wales was given the opportunity to decide between first past the post and STV, and they all chose first past the post. <laughs> right, right, right. So, it's, you know, like, <laughs> voter choice. Voter. What is voter choice? You know, this idea that actually uh, people know their local representative. Well, let's be honest, it is few and far between. And people listening to this pod and people in the room right now, uh, many of them will not know their local representatives yet. They voted for them. Uh, they may not know who they voted for. They will vote on the uh, on the uh, on the party name, right? So, the question about voter choice is actually about. Uh, what are voters voting for? And the political culture in this country has always been first past the post. It has been, you know, like it or loathe it, that is what people price into their heads when they want to see a, a general, uh, what the result will be, a general election, a Senate election, or a council election. So the idea that somehow we'd all suddenly understand understanding these European stylist systems, which are just not implemented anywhere in the UK, I, I think it's for the birds. I don't think, I don't agree with that point that it would reduce voter choice. As a political, as a, as a, a, a trade union, uh, my job is, uh, as a premium political officer, my job is pretty simple, right? Uh, I speak to our members about what they want. We have uh, Congress, uh, uh, GMB is about 500,000 strong, right? As a, as a union, third largest uh, union in the UK, uh, about 50 to 60,000 of those members are here in Wales. Uh, and we have a Congress every year where ever, there's a delegate system and they all go and vote every policy the union believes in. Uh, and my job is to get as much of that policy into government policy as possible. Now, what delivers that? Well, the, what delivers that is a Labour government for us. That is the way. That is why we created the Labour Party back in 1901 or whatever it was. We did it because actually there's only so much you can do in day-to-day -day organising. And what you need to do is have a, a, a government party that can implement... Uh, policy uh, and, and laws that allow you to, to make things easier, right? That's how we took on employers. That's how we changed, uh, got the five-day week. That's how you do those things. All the systems, PR, STV, they do not naturally bring out single-party governments, which means for trade unions, we are seeing our priorities as a bargaining chip because one party, you know, and again, like, you know, people think that all left-wing parties have more or less a similar kind of idea, that the Greens, the Plaid Cymru, the Lib Dems, the Labour Party, we all actually believe more or less the same thing. And we, we do not. There are huge fundamental differences in it. There are huge fundamental differences in the way the other parties speak and treat trade unions, not just because we are part owners of the Labour Party, because 
Many trade unions, in fact, most trade unions are not uh, uh, affiliated to the Labour Party. So for us, when we want to get our stuff through, and that is my job to do it, if I have a majority Labour government, that is the best thing to do. And for trade unionists, I've got to be able to go back and say, well, look, you wanted this, we got it through. A great example of that is the paracetamol stuff. Do you know you can only buy one pack of paracetamol? That was a GMB Congress policy because uh, a member's uh, uh, child committed suicide. So we took that from there, we took it all the way to Westminster, and we legislated that you could only get one pack, I think it's one pack, maybe it's two packs, of paracetamol in a store. And actually what you saw from that was the amount of death die for, uh, decrease um, because from overdoses of paracetamol. Small thing, actually, there are probably easy ways around it, but implement policy that you can implement that can make a big change is here. That is what we are about, that's what we want to do. To do that, we need majority governments. We cannot see our uh, priorities traded away, and that is what we fear under these systems. Uh, just on the closed list system, I wanted to add a bit of context around Professor um, Renwick's comments, and he made the point that you know there's a huge amount of disaffection already with um, with politics in Wales. We've never had more than 50% turnout for a Senate election, and the and you know we're proposing to increase the size of the Senate. The idea that you then also break the you know that direct link between constituents yeah, and representatives absolutely. is. You know, that's what he described as dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. So I was going to—that was literally going to be my next question. Do you think this system does break that direct link between a representative and their elector? Yes. And do you think the Chartists would have backed that? I, I, I don't think the Chartists would have backed that. There's, you know, there's, there's six, there's six ways of getting out of it, isn't there? You know what I mean? Like, there's, you get one in six. You actually have six people representing you when you wanted to vote for for one, maybe maybe two of them. You know, you were. Uh, it is a bad step, it is a retrograde step, it, and what it will do is it will absolve authority. When you go back to your, uh, to, to, for an election, there are six elect electorates, if something doesn't happen, you're one among six, and it absolves that authority. That direct link is absolutely critical, because as I was saying earlier, democracy is in its nature complex, and it should be complex, uh, and when it's at its best, it is complex. And uh, by doing this, uh, what you do is create, uh, you, you have a representative to take those decisions, to look at those kind of things. If you have sex, you absolve that authority. Chris? Yeah, and, and you know, a lot of surveys have shown that voters really value the ability to be able to, you know, for want of a better phrase, throw the rascals out if necessary. Mm. Um, by the way, I'd, 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 love the, I'd love the idea of STV increasing. <laughs> oh, I'm definitely voting STVs on here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was gonna, the well. voting system is not the problem, right? It, it's other things that the problem yeah. is. Reason. It's the public standing of politicians. It is uh, people's belief that they have ability to make change, and that is something that is actually. Uh, not that will never be changed at the ballot box that is changed by individuals deciding actually there's something wrong in my life what i should do is empower myself to do something about it that is to go run for local council join a trade union uh, join a church group and those problems you see go out and challenge them yourself that's the only way you make political change and that is the only way that you engage more people in politics so whilst we're on the topic of constituencies obviously senate expansion is one of the major reasons why people feel it is okay to reduce the number of welsh parliamentary constituencies as i i the number of Welsh MPs being sent to Westminster. Obviously, that's going to go down, uh, maybe, from 40 to 32. But, Tom, thinking about, you know, the, the next year we're likely to have a UK Labour government. I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not breaking any... <laughs> yeah, all right, you can tap wood. I, I don't think I'm shocking anybody with that prediction. But do you think that reducing the number of Welsh MPs that are sent to Westminster will limit the Welsh Labour voice in any future UK Labour government? Uh, in a UK Labour government, uh, possibly, um, because it, look, it's not an it's not a numbers game. 
this is the thing I think that people people who don't who are not Labour Party members they don't really get how it works and like one of the big kind of uh, nationalist views uh, and there's a point to it like you look at uh, the Valley Trwyrddin when I you know like the Labour MPs voted uh, against drowning the Valley in Wales uh, but it, the a majority of MPs in the UK voted for it so there was a, there's a numerical issue there. But actually, that's not really how politics works. It's about lobbying, it's about your position, it's about what you can offer. Uh, at the moment, I think that uh, under Kia, I think Welsh Labour MPs are in a very, very good place. We have some prominent MPs, Nick Thomas-Simmons, uh, Carolyn Harris, Jess Morden, uh, and various others who are very, very close to Starmer. Uh, and they are delivering uh, Welsh Labour wins uh, for when the government comes in, I, a great example of that right now is the the, the terrible stuff that's going on in Port Albert. Mm. You know, we are we we went down there a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we brought Kia on site and we introduced him to some to some steel workers, uh, and he was fantastic. He spoke to them. He engaged. You know, he was, he was honest. He's like, you know, I'm a steel boffin. Tell me what I need to know, kind of thing. Uh, they told him what the issues were, what we think the future for steel should be, uh, and uh, he took that on board. Took it to the company, and Labour have a position now. Uh, that would support steel in the UK, but that is fought for. You know, we know that what happens with steel, Port Albert is a small area, really, isn't it? You know, in terms of uh, there's a huge uh, political context to this. We cannot lose our ability to make steel in the UK, so it would be an utter disaster for the UK uh, for that plant to just move to electric arc furnaces, or even worse, to close. But the lobbying that Welsh Labour MPs who are close to Starmer have done has has got a steel fund for it. You know, like there is there's obviously Sunderland as well. But Port Albert is where the, is the largest steelmaking producer uh, in the UK. So, actually, what you can see is that effective lobbying, uh, that's where the power lies in it. And the ability of the Welsh PLP to lobby, I don't think, is necessarily diminished. That being said, this is just the circumstances we have now. Mm. If we have a different leader, it could be very, very different. So, there's a possibility that could happen. But actually, again, it's that stuff I was saying a minute ago, you know... It, Politics is about seeing what the problem is and thinking, well, I'm going to just solve it, right? And if you're a Welsh Labour MP and you think, like, well, actually, I want to improve this, I want to improve that, I want to improve that, then you need to figure out how you're going to do that. And, like, a close, you know, a close links with the leadership of the Labour Party is one way of doing that. Uh, and the other parts are about, actually, if you don't have those things, how else are you going to do it? And that's why it's important, and that's what I think First Past the Vote produces, is politicians who understand that it's their responsibility to do something about it. And, like, actually what you can see in... It delivers... In, I'm not saying that the Senate list members don't do that. That's not what I'm saying at all. But, actually, there's direct evidence there that this stuff happens. And so I don't think it necessarily has to, um, but it'll depend on the political context. Chris, one of the very interesting things that's happened in the last few weeks is um, the UK government apparently missed the deadline to deliver an order in council to actually approve the boundary changes. So are we going to be in the weird, perverse situation in Wales that we're going to use constituencies in the Senate that Westminster didn't even think were worth their time? Yeah, well, there remains a question about, you know, the future in terms of whether we'll have bespoke constituencies in Wales. And um, I, I do wonder if this point around constituencies is the one that would raise most concern with Chartists. Um, yeah. Because beyond 2030, um, the the variance between the size of the um, size of the constituencies can be up to 10%, which is double what it is for, for Westminster. And if you're already doubling because they're going... They're pairing the 32 Westminster constituencies into 16 for the Senate. So you're already doubling, or more than doubling, um, the size of each constituency. And having 10% 10, 10 either way, um, you know, that 
that has been, you know, because it's raised in the Senate already, yeah. It's going to be very interesting when someone has to represent the entirety of Ker the West Wales coastline from Ceredigion on down to the base of Pembrokeshire, or even someone who might have to represent Dwyfel Merioneth and Montgomeryshire together. Well, yeah, and, and just if you just look at the, there were concerns about the Westminster proposals, let alone when you start pairing them up. Yeah. So the new Brecon, Radnor and Cumtawi, um yeah. seats, it goes from the English border to, I think it borders Carmarthenshire. Yeah. And if you're going to start, you know, tacking another one onto that, it's, it's going to be quite a monster of a monster of a constituency yeah. just just to add to that i think there's a you know there's another context to this which i think is 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 something the labor party needs to think about is what context it adds to the union you know like th there was an understanding for many years that actually the amount of uh, welsh seats the amount of scottish seats just would not be touched because it was essential part that, that we had we had a voice in the union devolution doesn't change that you know there, there it is not devolution isn't about having well that's yours now off you go that's, that's not what it's about at all. What it's about doing is creating better governance for areas that have different political traditions and different uh, political needs. Uh, and actually, uh, by reducing this, it does send out a kind of similar... I mean, this is the Tories, right? You know, I, I, I rant about them, I'll carry on. This is, this is their failure to understand what union is about. They believe it is about uh, Britain as an idea, whereas we believe it is a, f a federation of nations. So there is a big thing there in a the context the Labour Party needs to think about that actually with these receivers, it's not as simple as just saying, let's put the seats back because, you know, is that necessarily the best outcome from those things? What we've got to think about is actually how we make the union more functional, how we ensure that if there is another Tory government, Wales's voice is heard in a way that isn't just, well, actually, Wales is saying no to this Tory cut. Is about saying, well, this is what Wales is doing. You have to listen. You have to do something. And that's a bigger political question and one that will take a long time to figure out. So we've got one last demand, and it's uh, the sixth charge demand was annual parliaments. And I think I speak for everyone involved in professional politics, where I'm very grateful that the Senate hasn't decided to have annual elections, but they are moving from five-year terms to four-year terms. And I just would be keen to hear both your thoughts on that. Tom, do you want to start? We voted against it. We, we had an internal discussion with the Labour Party. We believe in five-year terms. Uh, it, 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 the UK culture seems to have moved towards five-year terms, council elections, and the uh, general elections. It would be, we believe, would be out of kilter uh, to take that out there. And you know, even if it's, I think it'll average out. You get an extra election every 15, 20 years, or whatever, right? Well, someone's got to pay for that, and it's usually us. And <laughs> to be honest with you, we'd rather spend that money elsewhere. It is, you know, that's not saying we don't think democracy is important, but we don't think it really adds anything. Chris, I mean, you, you get the uh, Labour backbenchers like Alan Davis and, and I believe Mike Hedges as well, who have been constantly since since we moved to five-year terms, essentially calling for us to return to four, but is, do you think that's a popular part of the legislation? Um, I think it's relative amount of consensus on that. Um, you know, it's a difficult balance between government needed to plan and voters, you know, having their say. And four years, from what I've, you know, heard, seems to be the, the sweet spot in many ways, although I think I'm right in saying five years is the most common globally. Every new democracy um, in Europe is using four, four years and on the other hand, two years, like the House of Representatives, it's far too short. It's just going to allow for mm. constant electioneering. Similarly, you know, you could say the New Zealand and Australian three-year has the same problem. Um, and just just speaking from experience, really, of, you know, sitting through a five-year term, monitoring politics, um, it does feel an awful long time by the time yeah. you get to the end of it. A lot can change. Yeah. And as we saw in the last Senate, you know, you can have parties that weren't even on the ballot paper in the, mm. at, the, at the beginning. So I think it's, in a way, 
in response to that. But you know, there's other risks as well, though, isn't there? You know, like what if we have uh, you know the the worst case scenario of a Senate election at the same time as, as a UK wide election? It's about ideas being lost. It would all be caught in the minutia of immigration and all the all the stuff that becomes about bigger uh, bigger theories and worries of the country rather about how you can have good governance. Uh, that's the risk. That's what could happen. And it, we're the same with council elections. Through, you know, actually, most people in this country, if they're annoyed, they're annoyed at the council. Let's be honest about it, because <laughs> the bins aren't done, the roads aren't, uh, or whatever else. And you know, there are reasons that is from from UK government and and uh, from from Welsh government. But if you don't have that separation on like kind of natural calendar, once those things merge, it'll create all kinds of strange political outcomes which aren't necessarily good for democracy. Chris, yeah, just one further point on it. If we if we're going to move from five years to four years for Senate elections, it strikes me as strange that, you know, uh, council elections are going to remain five years. It was changed mm. in 2021. So, you know, if it applies to the Senate, it should not apply to council elections too. Uh, I just want to say thank you both. And I'm going to now leave my sort of hardest question probably to the end, which I'm sure you're overjoyed by. So the, the title of this event was Senate Reform, a Parliament Fit for Chartists? Question mark. Do you think, what in your eyes are the things that Chartists would have liked about this legislation and what do you think they would have loathed? Tom, we'll start with you. Well, again, our position would it's going to happen, right? It, it's it's Labour Party policy, it's being legislated for, it's going to happen. But the GMB's position is we don't want to see this reform happen. I think the Chartists have an issue with this and I think it would be around the lists uh, because it, it the point for the Chartists is they want stuff to be accountable. Right, that's that's where democracy. People worry about democracy is when stuff is not accountable, when decisions are taken and there's no commitments for it. In our opinion, that's what the list does not allow for, and that is where I think Chartist would chuck it out. Chris, yeah, I very much agree on the point around the the closed list, and the one I would add would be around, as I mentioned earlier, the size of constituencies, because there is a real danger there that you know certain voters could be over or under um, represented, and you know. I'm, I, I, I think they might be concerned about that deviation from the principle of sort of democratic equality. Just in case anyone's listening and think we're being unnecessarily negative, not that anyone would ever have listened to me and think that I'm at all <laughs> negative ever. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but is there anything they would have liked in this legislation? Yeah, I'm sure there is. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, look, you know, I think... If, if, if charters existed in today's society, I'm pretty sure the aim, at least, for gender balancing and for representation of BAME, I think they would have liked that. I think they'd be very much in favour of that. I think they would agree with the increased size of it. I think they'd be happy with those things. Uh, yeah, uh, as we say, you know, you said earlier on, uh, if it's we're talking about 1850s, whatever it was, perhaps not so much then, but now I think modern chartists, if it exists in today's form, would be happy with those, those elements. Chris? All my notes are negative, I'm afraid. <laughs> and on that overwhelmingly positive note, uh, I was going to ask, uh, if, having listened to our discussion tonight, if we could have a little bit of audience participation, hands raised in the air, do we think, yes or no, that the Chartists would have been happy with the Senate reform proposal? So everyone who believes they would have, could they raise their hand? Uh, and those, uh, the no's, who would think that they wouldn't ha like what they heard? Well, there's a lot of people on the fence here, isn't there? There's a lot of people on the fence. 
because a lot of people have gone, it's just not even in this room on the fence about these proposals, Tom. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I want to just say thank you very much to Chris Haynes and Tom Hoyles for being part of the panel today. I want to say thank you all for being here as part of the Newport Rising Festival. Um, the last day of the Newport Rising Festival, obviously, we're paying uh, tribute to the, the Chartists who uh, marched uh, on Newport from various parts of the valleys on this day in 1839. Uh, thank you very much for being here. Thank you very much for being part of it. If you've liked what you've heard this evening, please don't forget to find us on all our socials at Pod. Go to our website, www.walespolitics.com. And you can, if you so wish, uh, give to our Patreon to receive wonderful things like merchandise. Um, and you can go to www.patreon.com forward slash HeroEthPod. Give everyone a round of applause, please. Thank you for listening to Hereith. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review.